Hey, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm one of the hosts of this trifecta group, and Adam Aline's the other, and so is Clint Poppy. Good to be with all of you. <coughs> should, to be should, here. should people be quarantined from our program today? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I was going to ask you, what are you guys doing about this coronavirus? I mean, I'm going on a cruise, and I'm investing in the stock market heavily. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, I mean... I think it. Uh, what I'm doing is trusting that no matter what happens, that uh, I'm in God's hands, you know, as best as I can as a sinful human being. But uh, whether I live or die, uh, it's all to Christ, as Paul would say, right? Um, yeah. And uh, greatly desire to depart and be with Christ, for that would be far better, especially, you know, every day I work with Clint Poppy, so it would be much, much better to depart and be with Christ. But uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Ouch, ouch. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still panicked over West Nile and Ebola. I just have no energy left to be panicked over uh, CVR-19. Uh, don't call it the uh, Wuhan flu or the Wu flu. I thought it was the Trump flu. Or I thought it was the Kung flu. Yeah. Trump, Trump virus. Yeah. No, Wu flu. Well, one, one has to wonder as I, as I see and listen, and I'm speaking in general here to make my point as I always do, is uh, this, this, of course, becomes, to a certain extent, a First Commandment issue. Who do you fear more than God? And uh, I, I wonder again, uh, do we fear a virus more than we fear God? And I think uh, it's pretty clearly evident by people's reactions, especially at Walmart, Sam's, and Costco, that uh, that's a lot of that's going on. Now, that's to put the worst construction on it. Uh, on the other hand, of course, we are to take you know, illnesses seriously and to take the proper precautions and, and, and do what we do our due diligence, if you will. But, uh, uh, for the sake of others, you know, out of love, this is our life of love for the sake of others. But boy, uh, I just, I just can't help but think that this is, uh, we fear a virus more than we fear the Lord. I mean, I, again, putting the worst construction on it, it's, it's, um, uh, when Jesus says, uh, to listen to his word and to eat and drink his body and blood, uh, we ho-hum it. But boy, when somebody says something about a virus, we'll do anything they say. Anything. Anything they say. Which, again, that's why I say the first commandment issue for me. All right, well, what, what do you guys Even, even uh, Christ's words, right? Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is... The words Jesus ends scripture with, uh, I'm coming back. No one really cares about that. I mean, we've been talking about that for a couple weeks. Well, and this is why Jesus asks, I think it's in Luke's gospel, when the Son of Man returns, will he find what? Faith. On the earth. No, uh, he doesn't say that. I thought he said, well, will you be uh, copying things? Will you be having blue ribbon committee meetings and uh, et cetera, et cetera? Will, will I find fat 401k? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I'm, I'm just having fun with this, but... When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? That's, that's the big yeah. issue. But see, here, here is the uh, conundrum for the Christian, and uh, by extension, the Christian pastor as well. Uh, we, we teach people to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We teach people that God's word is clear, that he, uh, he is a God who is full of steadfast love, slow to anger, um, 
that the providence of God is very, very real and that we can approach God as a dear child approaches a dear father. And all these, all these things are very, very true. And then the competing voice is um, there is a reason for you to panic. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. So do everything humanly possible to not die. And so at what point does the panic or the fear of death become our God rather than just being a concerned citizen, a concerned Christian, following the fourth commandment? Okay, if there's a travel ban, I won't go anywhere. Uh, if things are called, you know, at what point do we say I must obey God rather than man? These, I think, are the real cutting edge issues and I think we also need to remember that Satan will use anything humanly possible to keep people away from church, to keep people away from the Lord's Supper, to keep people away from interpersonal contact with uh, fellow human beings, and especially Christian-to-Christian contact. And uh, there's a lot of that going on right now. You know, um, Adam, I, you're probably a better expert on this than I am, and that's why I'm going to ask this question. You know, at the time of the Reformation, there was a, a plague going on, wasn't there? The bubonic plague, correct? There, there was, and in fact, um, it it uh, through the years of the Thirty Year War, I think like one in five people died from it. Uh, the same issue. Um, there's debate about it a little bit, but uh, at the time of Justinian, uh, weakened the Byzantine Empire to the point where it allowed the beginning of the conquest by Islam um, uh, in the seventh uh, century A.D. as well, and so. There have been these big plagues before, and uh, they've been big issues. And uh, I think the difference between those things and now is is that today we sort of have this expectation that we're not going to die, right? I'm going to be 90 years old and in a nursing home, and that's a long ways away, but that's how it's going to go for me. Um, you know, even uh, as little as 150 years ago, you didn't know if you might get uh, sick on the trail or uh, drink some bad water or, you know, die in childbirth, all these things. It was ever present and you knew it was going to happen and much more commonplace. We've sanitized it so much. We have this idea we're going to live for a long time. And even when somebody does die, what do we do? We, uh, we pump them full of dyed liquids to preserve the body, and we put makeup on them to try and make them look like they're still alive and not dead. And uh, we've kind of taken away the sting of death by human means instead of leaving it um, in God's hands, and that's a big problem. What did, what did, the, what did the Reformation churches do during the plague? Did, did, and I, I'm, I'm really interested about this because— uh, did, did they did they say stay home, don't come to church, don't take communion? I mean, what did they do? They they kept on going to church. The pastors kept on um, doing the worship services every day. Uh, yeah, every day back then, not uh, just on Sundays for like the ones now. who were there, right? Right, and now, uh, they they kept on doing funerals. I think. Visited the sick, buried the dead. They just kept right on plugging, and if it was God's will that the pastor priest would die, uh, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that's is what's it, going on. Is it Gerhard or who's the one that was the pastor that was doing up to a hundred yeah, funerals was, a day? It was Gerhard. Um, that uh, he just kept on burying the people, and and that's what you did and. Proclaim the word of Christ in all these instances. If my memory serves, uh, when Luther was in Wittenberg uh, and the plague came there as well, 
Um, they urged him to it flee. Did. And he did not. He did not. Now, the reason I raised this issue is that to a certain extent, there were people in, in, in Europe during the plague who would flee to, to, to get away from it, correct? Yes. But, uh, you know, th- I'm just trying to put things in a historical context of, uh, because I fear with what I hear going on like in Italy and France where people are not allowed to congregate in public places. I, I, I fear that uh, uh, Caesar is going to say uh, if there's 100 or 50 people gathered together, we're going to outlaw that, which means no church. And what are we going to do? Home church, radio, blog, um, podcasts. That'll be that'll be one way that we can can uh, follow the government law. Uh, it may be time when we we are put to the test and we must obey God rather than man. Do not forsake the gathering together. Uh, from the book of Hebrews, these are these are interesting questions. Um, this is nothing new. You know, you guys are talking about the plague in at the time of the Reformation. Well, now you got it in L.A. at the at the time of <laughs> at the yeah, I got the plague in L.A. Yeah, because people are defecating on the streets. But at the uh, at the t- early days of the uh, United States of America, they did not want to move the capital to Washington D.C. because it was a swamp, uh, bad water inf- malaria infested place and between typhoid fever and malaria and smallpox all these things these diseases are raging so you get people leaving during the certain months and coming back during other months you think of the the history of the united states and in the uh, late 1800s we had the spanish flu and then in my lifetime i can remember the the craziness over polio and uh, you're you're too young, Pastor, uh, and I know Pastor Moline. Oh, I remember. Too young. Po- I remember the polio scare. Uh, I had to go. I'm an old man, like you. We're I old had men. to go. I had to go on a regular basis and get my little sugar cube mm-hmm. of Me polio me- polio medicine. You did too. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we've had we've had, and then See, I'm know, probably even older than you. You don't even realize how old. Right I am. when I right when I came to Good Shepherd in the uh, late '90s, the big thing was AIDS. Yeah, I remember that. And everybody was afraid to shake hands or touch or whatever because, you know what, I'm not going to use the common cup. Oh, yeah, some, somebody with AIDS is going to. And, I mean, so we have had these things, H1N1, bird flu, swine flu, Ebola. I mean, it seems like about every two to three years we have a new one of these potential pandemic kind of things. And, and one of these times it will probably happen. And God will use this to take us all to heaven. And uh, praise be to God. Here's uh, Luther's quote from the 1527 plague we're talking about. He says, No one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who will take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. In such cases, we must respect the words of Christ. I was sick, and you did not visit me. According to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is obliged to assist and help him as he himself would have liked to be helped. And uh, it's 
This idea then, during the plague in Wittenberg in 1527, Luther and his wife uh, Katerina, who was also pregnant at the time, stayed there in Wittenberg to treat the people who were infected and uh, brought them into their own home. I don't know if you've ever been there, the the, the uh, Black Cloister, I think is the name of the house, uh, but it was a monastery beforehand, and, and so they filled it up with people to help them out and care for them, and, and I think that the same thing is kind of what uh, Luther would say we should do here now. There's an article about that topic on uh, uh, Pathios uh, by a guy named Grayson Gilbert that's worth reading. Yeah, they, in other words, they, they stayed put to help. This is the life of Christian love. Uh, they, they dared, they, love dares to do things that uh, unloved won't, right? Right. Takes chances, very risky. Um, that's what love will do to take care of the neighbor who needs help. Now, I want to move this in another direction here. We've just got another second. We can pick this up after the yeah, break. We've got, we got about a minute left in this segment, right, so, so if I'll, you want to wrap I'll up. I'll tease you. I'll just tease you here. So what do you do with uh, communion? Do you, do you tell the people that, uh, oh, you, you won't get sick? I mean, good grief. You, you, can, you can drink the Lord's blood from the chalice, and you won't get sick? Do you tell people that or not? See, that's, that's what I fear people might be saying, some pastors might be saying, and I want to pick that up after the break because i've got more to say on that one the uh the example that is often given and i want to see give you time over the break to think about this uh that would be the equivalent of saying the water in holy baptism uh could never harm you because it's connected to god's word well if you had boiling water in the font and put that boiling water on someone's head. Or if you had someone baptized in the river and they got caught away in the stream and drowned, uh, those, those are at least, I mean, they're, they're outrageous examples, but they are examples. And maybe that'll tie in with where you're going with this answer, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. So we'll pick this up after the break. Hang on tight. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. Brent Kuhlman here with Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. We got this coronavirus, got the scare, the fear, uh, communion. What do you do? Um, we always, regardless if there's a coronavirus around, we're always taking precautions. Right, Adam? I mean, uh, the chalice that you guys use is probably made out of precious metals, correct? Yeah, um, it's made out of silver, and, and the thing I always remember is, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier, the clothes that I buy sometimes to go hunting with, deer hunting, uh, they have silver. Now listen carefully, folks. This tells you he's getting paid way too much. That's right. Uh, I'll (laughs) even tell you the brand name for a a small uh, fee. Uh, They they sell these that they have silver in the clothes, silver threads, silver fragments, silver chemical uh, depends on what brand you Notice buy. Notice it's not copper. It's it's silver. It's silver. And the reason they put the silver into the hunting clothes is because the bacteria and uh, things like that that s- make you smell, that a deer can smell, that, that knows you're there, uh, they cannot 
grow on silver. They cannot reproduce on silver. They cannot live on silver. So they put the silver in the clothing to kill the germs. And the same thing we have uh, on the uh, the inside, the of, inside the of the chalice. Mm-hmm. They're they're silver. That helps. It doesn't doesn't kill everything. It doesn't make it perfect, but it helps. And at the same time, there's alcohol that's in the the wine that helps kill that. Are we going to kill 100% of all the germs and everything? Probably not, you know, but it's things like that that help. The pastor wipes every uh, drink somebody takes. We wipe not only for the germs, but also the reality is there's crumbs that uh, sometimes get off or uh, something else, lipstick, chapstick, things like that. We wipe every between every person on the common cup. All these things always happen for the sake of um, doing the best we can to maintain a healthy communion yeah and, and the, the reason I asked that question is because I don't we don't want to give people the wrong impression I, forgive me if I don't say this very well or help me say it better but I, I we don't want to give people the wrong impression that uh, you have a guarantee when you go to communion that you can never pick up a germ or get sick now granted um, uh, I think doctors will tell you that uh, you can get the flu probably at a higher rate by just breathing the air, correct, or shaking hands or sitting next to somebody at church versus taking from the chalice, right? Most of these uh, viruses and things like that are airborne or will will stay like on a doorknob mm-hmm. or On a something. hymnal, on, yeah. on a pew. Yeah. Yeah. But again, the point I'm trying to make is, is we, we don't want to give people the wrong impression that they are, uh, what would be the right word, they're totally immune from catching any kind of bacteria or a virus by by coming to communion. Right. It, it could happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely could, but at the same time, it could happen from the silverware uh, in your own drawer or at a restaurant or, you know, um, we went to a hockey game this last weekend and, uh, you know, my who son. Won, who won that hockey game, by the way, Pastor? Not the did, team that should have. They did, won the, the team that should have won. We were there, won the next night, five to nothing. So God loves you most when he breaks your false that's idols. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but you know we're we're walking up the stairs, and my uh, almost six year old son has his mouth right at the level of the hand railing, and we're waiting to get checked by the uh, people on the way in, and he's got his mouth on the ha- hand railing. You know what I mean? <laughs> the germs are out there, and you aren't going to be able to live in an antiseptic bubble and avoid them. So. Instead of being in fear, why don't we just trust that when God says he's going to raise us from the dead, he really means it. And even if we die from a heart attack or a car accident or from a disease, that that's what waits us in the future. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Pastor Coom and I, uh, um, please, please chastise me, admonish me, or correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think at times like this, when some people might be using this virus uh, for ulterior motives, uh, maybe political reasons or other kind of nefarious things, um, I think that now people should be encouraged to live their life. And if there if there is a you know quarantine or travel restriction or what, well, of course we're going to follow what the what the experts in the government say but um love your brother and sister in christ go out to eat chinese food uh that industry has taken a major hit if you have some money laying around in a sock now is probably the time to invest in the stock market um and i'll be so bold 
Uh, you can really attack me for this one. I'll be so bold. Call your travel agent and book a cruise. I guarantee you, you probably will get the best rates of your life, and there will be nothing that will be more clean and sanitized and checked than the cruise ships because they are hurting. Mm-hmm. Our, the economy is hurting. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting uh, in a variety of ways. And I think now's the time. Um, go out and eat Chinese on the cruise while you invest in the stock market. <laughs> um Correct me if I'm wrong, well, please. This, this is love. Love for the sake of others R- take, takes risks. This, that's real simple. That's the Christian life. It, take, it takes risks. I, I hear what you're saying, Clint, and it, it brings to mind something that totalitarians use fear to manipulate and to get what they want. And that's what I fear could be happening here in the United States. I'm talking about political totalitarian people, and I mean that. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. We, we, uh, I've been doing a lot of study here of the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror over the last few months, and there are many parallels between the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror and how people talk. I'm talking about people in power, especially political power uh, in the United States and how, the, how they talk as well. It's very similar. So when I say that there, 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 there appears to be a totalitarian move in the United States on many levels, from a soft totalitarianism to even a hardcore totalitarianism, the use of a virus to create fear and panic, to get people to do what you want and to get what you want. You know, that's, that's, that's a, I don't think people realize that that is a possibility and can be happening here. So that's just another thing to keep in mind here. And that's, that's another reason why we live in the end times. And, and you're not saying that the, the government created the virus or that there isn't a virus out there, but that people who are opportunistic, uh, it, Maybe that's the way I say it. Sometimes people are opportunistic in manipulating events to get a benefit out of them. Let the me calm be, heads. Yeah. I'll be very specific. Shall, uh, I'll, in case you're what's Kuhlman talking, let me be specific. Rahm Emanuel, who worked for the president, former President Obama, and I quote now, never let a crisis go to waste. That is the standard operating procedure for progressive Marxist totalitarians like Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago now. Never let a crisis go to waste, which Go- means Google it and you can watch the direct quote. This is this is not fabricated. This is not scare tactics by Pastor Kuhlman. This is a easily uh, verifiable and certainly well-documented quote. Yeah, so th- I think this is part of, of what we're living in. And this again, I'm going to repeat this. This is why we are living in the end times, which then takes me, I'm going to segue now back to where we left off the last time we talked about Antichrist, capital A, Second Thessalonians 2. And Clint gave us uh, Peeper's quotes about why the Lutherans, and Peeper was just simply quoting, you know, the, the Reformation fathers, that identifies the Roman Catholic papacy as fulfilling the Second Thessalonians 2 of being the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. And we still believe that as Lutherans. And the last time we talked, what we had to say goodbye is we were talking about specific points of why Lutheranism, and not just Lutherans, but even Roman Catholics now. If you, if you read... The, uh, the hardcore, for lack of better terminology, but well, let's put the best, the faithful, the, the Roman Catholics who want to be faithful Roman Catholics, you read their blogs, they'll even say that Pope Francis is the Antichrist. And I'm not joking here. And if you want to investigate that, just go on these uh, Roman Catholic blogs and websites. 
But we were talking about why, and it's doctrinal. It's not, it's not lifestyle. It's doctrinal. And I'd mentioned the Lord's Supper. And I want to pick up on that, and then I want to move to another thing. And it has to do, so I don't forget, I'm going to mention it so you guys remember to tell me. It's Vatican II. I'm going to talk about Vatican II because we have a full reversal of what we talked about last time. All right, now, Lord's Supper. This is one of the marks of the Antichrist, the false teaching bit. False teaching, which is hooked and flows from the doctrine of justification by faith alone. See, the Lord's Supper is the gospel. How do I know that? Well, I learned that from our Lord's words. He says, you take this, this bread and you eat it. And then he says, this is my body, and it's given for you. For you. Notice the direction. He gives it to them. That's what, he, that's what the text says. He gives it to them, and then he says it's for you. So the direction of the Lord's Supper is from the Lord to us as gift. How do I know it's gift? Because he says for you. For you talk is gift talk. He says the same thing about the cup of wine. He gives it to them, and then he says, this cup is the New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you or for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the Lord's Supper, according to the Lord's own words, is the gospel. It gives the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, whereby Christians live by faith in this promissory word of forgiveness. You following this? All right. Now, Rome... Rome takes it in a different direction, and this is why Luther in the small called articles calls the, the, the sacrifice of the mass the abomination of desolation because Rome teaches that the Lord's Supper actually is the atonement. That is to say, it is a repetition of Good Friday in the sense that it's, it's, it's the real presence of an event. The event of Good Friday is now before your very eyes, and so we go to the mass to offer the body and blood of Christ to God the Father. Listen carefully, folks. I'm not making this up. You can read it in the Roman Catholic Small Catechism. To atone for the sins of the living and the dead. Did you catch the difference? What's, where's the direction? The direction of the Roman Catholic Mass is from us to God. And what are we doing? We are offering the body and blood of Jesus to God the Father, together with Jesus, of course. Jesus is doing this with us because the head and the body go together. The bridegroom and the bride go together. That's what they teach. And we are offering it to God the Father to atone for the sins of the living and the dead. So that's when I said, this is why Luther says that the, the mass is the abomination of desolation because it totally contradicts what the Lord says about the supper and the gospel and turns it into a work that atones for sin. This is a huge problem, and this is part of why the papacy fits the bill of fulfilling 2 Thessalonians 2. This is one of the signs and wonders. You know, Hermann Zasse, a Lutheran writer who's been dead for a number of years, said there's a reason why the Roman church grows, and it's partly because of this. Partly because people are drawn to this. You know, this is, this is a, how shall I say this? Um, uh, Millennials are attracted to this because this seems to be so authentic, you know, but it's the abomination of desolation. And you guys are just sitting there looking at me like Kuhlman's insane. Am I insane here? No, um, you're, no you're not insane. <laughs> and um, uh, I, wish, uh, I wish we had more time, and I guess we're going to have to pick up on the next program, but I wish we had more time to explore this because um, 
Lutherans naturally then will have a question. Uh, well, I read in the Book of Concord, uh, Lutherans believe in the Mass and Lutherans retain the Mass. And so... All right, the next time be, we talk, let's that address that. That can be very, very confusing for... Uh, for people who want to be confessional Lutherans. All right, well, we'll address that as well the next time we talk. Ah, I hear the music. So stay Lutheran, my friends. Bye-bye.